morning, everybody. Happy finally back to school day. And welcome to the news agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by Mirror Editor Alison Phillips. Good morning, Alison. Morning, Susie. Morning, everybody. Hope you're well. Had a good weekend. Yes. Well, now this is the People's Paper Review. Uh, so get into the comments. Ask us your questions. Did you have a good weekend? Or was it as crappy as many others and wet and everything else? Those of you listening later on podcast, I'm afraid you're just going to have to text some foul-mouthed abuse at your line manager uh, if you weren't invited, just like Gavin Williamson did. So what have we got for you today? Well, the mirror has splashed on the revelation that a facial recognition expert claims a possible sighting of the renegade peer and renowned murderer Lord Lucan has indeed been proved to be him in Australia. Now, Alison, take us through this briefly because it is a splash. This is the, the son of his victim who's found this guy, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. Oh, sorry. I'm about to sneeze. Anyway, um, so what's really interesting about this is so um, that there's a, the, the leading facial recognition expert who is the guy who, um, do you remember the story about the um, Scripple poisoners where the, um, and there was the, the Russian, there were two Russian agents who had done it. So this is the guy who helped uncover the names of the agents that had, um, had, that had done that poisoning. Um, and now he has looked at some pictures of Lucan when he was, um, a child and also uh, when he before he went missing and now he's looked at pictures of um, an 87 year old man who is living in Australia and he says there is no doubt they are an exact match and he has these very very complex algorithms that you put the different faces in and I think we all know like the value of facial recognition now like most people have got telephones now where if you look at them they recognize your face to see it's you and not somebody else so it is like a really exact science and he is saying he believes this is the man who was tracked down, actually, by the um, the son of the nanny who was the murder victim. Yeah. So, and, and although it's been one of those things that's kind of throughout our lives, oh, where's Lord Lucan or whatever, you have to remember that at the heart of this, there was a young woman who was murdered, who left a child who grew up never knowing his mother. So it's, yeah. it is a human tragedy as well. Exactly. And it's, it was got a lot of you know, attention over the years because of the glamour of the people involved, because it was a peer, because he was part of this big gambling set and so on. But yeah, as you say, rightly, someone someone was murdered and someone never faced justice for that murder. And some people think Lord Lucan jumped off a ferry off the coast of New Haven, I think. Yes. Um, but this guy uh, in Australia has been found by the son of the victim and, and bears a shocking... Uh, resemblance, should we say, is a doppelganger at the very least, because there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. I mean, between... the guy, the facial recognition expert, so he's, he's a professor at the University of Bradford, and he's also been double sourced by um, a facial recognition experts in the United States as well. So the guy at the University of Bradford says that only if um, this, that really it could be an identical twin, that it could be that similar. I mean, the certainty with which this expert is speaking is, is sort of quite incredible, really, but. Um, so really, it's what happens next. So the big issue will be, will the Met Police reopen the investigation, which they've always seemed to have been quite reluctant to do? I mean, obviously, they've got huge other pressures on their time. But as we said, this is still a, a murder inquiry. Um, will they get out there, sit down with the guy? I'd have thought a very simple DNA test would be able to conclusively prove to the police that it is him or not him. And whether the, the current Lord Luke and his son, who has the whether he wants to do that and cooperate with that um and whether of course the, the chap who is uh who is supposed to bear this resemblance whether he wants to sit down and talk to anybody as well i mean if i was completely innocent but happened to look like a famous killer i think i would like to talk down sit down and talk to people about it and say it's not me genuinely yeah. check yeah. but yeah. so we'll see what happens next but it's 
very interesting. Yes, mm. exactly. Uh, but uh, Susan there, who's uh, the daughter of a nuclear test veteran, says she's just reading the Daily Mirror, and a lot of nuclear test veterans are going to be doing that today. Moving on to page 18, uh, it's a story of mine which I'm afraid is going to upset and infuriate a lot of our regular listeners and viewers, which is the leaked result of a medal review that was ordered by Boris Johnson when he was in office into the case of recognition for the survivors of Britain's Cold War radiation experiments. I shouldn't say just the survivors, actually, because it would be posthumous as well. Now, Boris said he thought there should be a medal. Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak on their race to number 10 both backed it as well. But a cabinet office source has told me that the medal committee, which decides these things, has nevertheless rejected it. Now, that committee refuses to release its verdict or its details of its discussions. So we don't know why at this stage, Alison, that it's done that. The source told me he has no idea how this has happened and thinks it's an absolute disgrace, which is why it's leaked. Um, But it's just it just beggars belief, doesn't it? If the last three prime ministers all want something to happen, what on earth could stop someone in Whitehall acting on it? Well, I mean, I think that's the interesting question, isn't it, at the heart of all this. What is it and why is it that they are just insistent on never, ever giving these people and their families any form of justice? Um, And I think, I mean, gosh, Susie and and people that are watching this morning who are families of uh, nuclear test veterans will know better than anyone about the kind of the highs and lows that have been in this campaign over the years. Sometimes it thinks, yes, we're getting somewhere. I mean, particularly at a point where you've got the only two contenders for the next prime minister are both committing to it. You think, oh, that's got to be in the back. And then the next thing is these sort of secretive, I was going to say shady forces within the establishment and suddenly put a blocker on it all again. It's that, um, it's that kind of thing where people think, oh, you know, you talk about shady stuff and this, that and the other and the conspiracies and it can't possibly be and that is ridiculous. But yet... All the stuff, and I'm a realistic human being, but all the stuff I've uncovered over the years does make me think that is exactly what's happening. There are some reason why they will not hold their hands up to any kind of, um, I was going to say, admission of of guilt, really. Even though, interestingly, of course, the, the evidence they had came from their own reports, didn't it? That actually this had caused cancers or in um what was the number is it is it a 377 percent people who served as um within those tests um were 377 percent more likely to have a form of cancer which is just that is not a coincidence is it no exactly now so what happened after we met boris johnson in june uh, we were invited to make fresh medal applications Uh, The British Nuclear Test Veterans Association, I think, relied on previous applications. The LabRats campaign group made a fresh one. And uh, the LabRats application involved uh, evidence from a government study into the long term health of veterans, which was found for years that there's nothing wrong and everything's fine. Don't look at this. It's okay. But this time in February, they finally said, yes, they are in the long term, more likely to die than other servicemen. They are more likely to die from cancer. And one of the cancers they'll get is a kind of blood cancer called chronic myeloid leukemia, uh, of which they have a 377% increased risk of dying from that. And it is known to be radiogenic in that if you are exposed to radiation, you're more likely to get it and you're more likely to die from it. But that goes against, you know, we, we thought if you've got the government's own study and the prime minister backing it and the success of prime ministers that you must you can't possibly argue as that committee has done before it's not like 
the, the veterans or ourselves are really asking for that much anymore. We're not asking for gazillions of pounds of compensation. We're not asking. All we're asking for is a medal which gives recognition to those men who unknowingly flew aircraft or were on the ground when nuclear um, uh, material was being around them and, ha and have suffered with their health and their family's health ever since. Mm. So that's, that's not even a big ask. So why will they not do anything? Because I think probably because it's the smallest arse and they see it's the thin end of a wedge. Now, get into the questions, every uh, the comments, everybody. Ask us your questions. What do you think about why the government's ignoring the test veterans? Uh, what do you think about Lord Lucan's possible uh, doppelganger or actual him being found in Australia? Now, Susan says, you're both very right. We've been treated with the utmost contempt. The veterans deserve a medal. Like you say, Alison, it's the cheapest, cheapest thing in the world to give a medal. There are lots of veterans who don't want one, who'd find it offensive almost. They want an apology yeah, or anything else. But... And I see Mike Holden here has made a very good point, is that, I mean, obviously this is what's behind it. They don't want to give the medal because if they give the medal, that would be an admission that something happened that shouldn't have happened, an admission of guilt. And, um, and so they're obviously concerned about what could happen next. But other countries have managed it, haven't they, Susie, to give a medal? Yeah, um, and indeed New Zealand, our own Queen gave uh, New Zealand's medal because the New Zealand government asked her to. Um, and other nuclear powers around the world all offer some form of recognition. Um, now, the, thing that, the point that Mike makes there about it being an admission of guilt in a sense, you're right. But, you know, when my granddad got a medal for going across northwestern Europe uh, after D-Day, he was at risk. He wasn't being shot at every single day. I mean, quite a lot of them. Um, but, you know, it, it wasn't a wrong thing for him to do. Uh, he would have yeah. said that they needed to fight that war and they got medals as a result. And you could have exactly the same argument with the nuclear test veterans. Many of them have said to me over the years, we needed nuclear deterrent. We needed to do it. We're under constant fear yeah. of a Soviet invasion. And it's keeping us safe right now today from the likes of Putin. So, again, you can just say, look, it was dangerous. Yeah, it was the, yeah. wrong could have gone wrong mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, give them a medal. It doesn't, it doesn't mean you have to compensate them, does it? There's one line that leaves me with like a tiny little shred of hope, which is the, the last line of the story today, which is a spokesman for the Cabinet Office said, the case is still being considered. We owe a debt of gratitude to all veterans. Now, I mean, that's a fairly sort of bland statement from them, but it does leave the door open that should they even at this very last minute want to change their mind they could perhaps still do it do you think yeah now um i'm i just don't think i could really read out susan's message because it's being too nice to me but thank you very much susan but uh journalistically i probably shouldn't judith says absolutely disgusting this medal isn't being given uh now Alison's right there is a faint chink of hope and that is that this committee which made the decision um is a subcommittee it's the one that deals with military medals but it reports up to the main committee known as the Honours and Decorations Committee or HD Committee. And that committee has on it representatives of the Prime Minister and the King. And it is possible, and it has happened before, when those two people want a medal or agree there should be one, um, that that HD committee overrules what the subcommittee says. So that could still happen. We know that committee's met, but it hasn't made its decision yet. Uh, and they can do a huge amount to swing this back around if the king and the prime minister decided they wanted to. But, Alison, it was reported in The Times, I think, over the weekend that Rishi and his team are reconsidering every single one of his campaign pledges, even the simple, easy, cheap ones like this. 
uh, which will include his support for the medal because of the fresh cutbacks he's planning. Do you think we might lose the medal because suddenly we can't afford the tin? Well, it's a very easy get out for him on all sorts of things, that line, isn't it? Because obviously we all know that we're in a cost-living crisis. We all know that um, there's going to be some very difficult uh, things happening over the next uh, uh, next few days. And so next Thursday, we've got the autumn statement. Um, and that is grim. However, the difficultness of this situation is allowing Rishi Sunak, our new Prime Minister, to essentially rip up any commitment he's ever made and just say, oh, do you know what, I'm starting all again. It's a completely different landscape. Didn't know it was going to be this difficult. And he can start again. So, as you say, something that really has got absolutely no cost really attached to it at all, such as this, could be a full victim to it. However, he's still got to stand for something. He's still got to believe in something. And you would like to hope that something like this, which feels like a relatively easy win, because the general public, I think, have got a great sense of right and wrong, and they feel that this is the right thing to do. You would imagine it's the sort of thing that perhaps could persuade him. Yeah, well, you'd think probably that when they do reconsider all his pledges, this is one of the ones he would think, well, that's a nice headline in the Daily Mirror. I should probably exactly. do that. It cost us too much. But unfortunately, while he's spending months chewing over all the other stuff he's got to spit out and undigest, yeah. there are veterans dying every single week without the recognition and honour of their government, which they deserve. So, Rishi, if you're watching, or anyone in his team, I'm sure they are. I heard that he watches this every morning, Susie, so I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, they're right now at uh, COP27 watching us. <laughs> Get on with it, sunshine, is what we will say. Otherwise, um, we're coming after you. Now, get into the questions. Uh, keep asking us uh, what you think about this. Do you think it's time for a medal? Do you think this is the least important thing on Rishi's desk and he should be doing something else and concentrating on other things? Let us know. Um, but speak, and I should say as well that Labour are going to be tackling the government on this issue of the medal at 2.30 this afternoon in the House of Commons at Defence Questions. So uh, we're going to be carrying that as a special treat for you on these channels on the Mirrors Facebook page later on. So tune in 2.30 and they will be here. OK. Now, speaking of other things that Rishi doesn't want to do, he's at COP27 this morning in Sharm El Sheikh, showing Britain leading the fight against climate change on the world stage, having been persuaded he ought to. Uh, and he will be announcing several hundred million pounds worth of funding to help things along. But Boris at COP26, billions, and it doesn't look like they've been spent. Elsewhere in the paper, we're reporting that there's going to be the biggest nurses' strikes in the NHS uh, in, since, it was, since its inception. And uh, we've also got in the paper a call from campaigners and metro mayors for Rishi to introduce, there it is, a universal basic income to cut poverty and enable people to buy the absolute basics of life. Now, Alison, I can remember during the pandemic, he was supposed to be considering this then. Ooh. And so, oh, yes, everything's on the table. And, of course, instead he opted to waste billions on business support loans that were targeted by fraudsters and furlough, which didn't help everybody. What do you think the chances are of him actually doing any of this stuff and making it work? Um well, on the basic income, I think that's incredibly unlikely. And I, I, and I would imagine the people that have uh, signed this letter to him are kind of aware how unlikely it is. I think Andy Burnham signed it and Jack Monroe, the poverty campaigner. Um, but I think what is still interesting is putting it on the table as a concept. So they trialled it recently in Wales, where um, I think they, they took lots of young people and they gave them this basic income and just sort of said, right, OK, here you go. What can you do with it? And it's this idea that people have got money, they spend money, it boosts the local economy, it keeps them in work. It's 
um, and it does more to sort of um, reduce inequality. I mean, there's so much interesting stuff around inequality in that in, in, in the more unequal societies are, the worst the health outcomes are, the worse the, the crime is, the worse the um, sort of general well-being is of the entire population, the richest people and the poorest people, and the, the happiest, uh, most productive, um, least crime um, societies are those where you've got less inequality. And I think this is the kind of thing that into the future, just pursuing growth, as Liz trusted, but as, as, as capitalism has made us do in this form for so many years, just growth, 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 actually isn't really helping. Well, it is helping, but it's you get to that point where it has sort of less uh, return each time, each sort of passing year. So this is kind of quite a big idea mm. that I think we may find ourselves discussing more in the coming years, because yeah. clearly inequality to the level it is at the moment isn't really working for anybody. Not really. It's causing sort of, you know, health difficulties, crime. So so that I think is unlikely. I think on the nurses pay. So we're looking at a nurses strike in the run up to Christmas, um, which is something we probably never thought we would see in this country. And they're saying they would continue to do um, uh, sort of emergencies, but sort of some planned operations and treatments would have to be put back. But, you know, I think, you know, we can see Riza is saying that she supports, it, she supports it. And I think many people in the public will support it because we saw what the nurses and the whole medical profession did during COVID and the sacrifices they made. And then you come out the other side of it after everyone was all busy clapping from the doorsteps, come out the other side of it. And then you've got nurses having to use food banks. You've got people dealing with it in, in terrible hours, in intolerable conditions and just the workload going up and up and up and no financial um, or not sufficient financial um, reward for that. And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens because it's it's a tough old show in the NHS at the moment. Yeah, and all previous uh, uh, wage increases, which were below, uh, they're effectively a real terms cut, but any wage increases they did have in the past few years, thanks to Rishi, had to come out of existing NHS budgets. So you get cuts elsewhere. And that's not sustainable either. Um, but it was worth pointing out, perhaps, that universal basic income in Wales is being trialled for pe children who've just left care. So they have literally no support network whatsoever. They've been institutionalised and they have no parents or family to look after them. So it gives them a home, it gives them the ability to pay for the basics, and it gives them a, a start and a, and a foothold to, to get on and get up. And that may be the kind of thing where if it was introduced, it would actually save us billions and billions and billions and billions of pounds in right. health costs, crime costs, homelessness costs, everything. The big problem with it, actually, I think for politicians, is selling the idea to the public because people say, hang on a minute, why are these people getting all this money and they're not working for it? And oh, this doesn't seem fair. And I think we need, that's why I think this is an interesting lesson because it's not going to happen now, obviously, but I think it's going to get people to start talking about it. And okay, so you spend money here, but you might save money further down the line, like you say, uh, Susie. And, We've got to start having these conversations in a more longer term, grown up way rather than, you know, that knee jerk reaction of like, well, somebody else needs to be punished, which I think is unfortunately where a lot of the national debate has come. Exactly. Um, and so perhaps there's some way of tailoring a universal basic income. So it's not quite universal, but everybody kind of gets a chunk of it, you know, gets saying people that can have a, a cut in the basic rate of income tax, for example, doesn't work if you're not working. 
yeah. um, you don't, you're not gaining anything from that at all, are you? Um, now, I know that uh, there are people in the comments talking about Tory sell-off and so on in the NHS. Uh, it happens every time we discuss this, so we're not going not gonna to raise those questions on screen, but uh, we do see you and we hear you and everything else. Um, now, uh, keep asking us your questions. What do you think about Lord Lucan being found? Do you think he should be deported and brought back to Britain? Do you think there's any chance of that? If he's 87 and he's, he's managed to stay under the radar all this time, do you, do, you, do you want him to be left in peace and quiet? Or do you want Sandra Rivett's son to finally get some justice? What do you think about the Nuclear Test Veterans Medal? Should Rishi overrule it? Should the king step in? Uh, this is the kind of thing which technically is supposed to come from the king. He's the fount of all honours, but he does have to do what he's told as well. So it's a bit of a sticky wicket for some of them. But hopefully when Rishi comes back from COP, if he's any COP at COP whatsoever, uh, he'll he'll want a nice headline. We've got one ready and waiting for you, Rishi. And if you don't give us a nice one, we'll give you some stinkers. Um, now, first off, uh, there is some good news in the world and we've managed to find it for you. Here it is. Now, on page 16, uh, we're reporting um, how the NHS has managed to give successful blood transfusions to patients using blood cells that were grown in a lab. Now, this removes not the fact that you still need some donations, OK, but this would mean that you could grow blood for really rare blood types that you don't get very easily in donations. Uh, and it means the blood could be spanking fresh straight out of the stem cell rather than having to be stored in a freezer for a bit. Um, and if you have had, as we've had recently, haven't we? we've had problems with blood supplies where they've, they've gone a bit low. You're never going to have that situation so long as you can keep your, your grower going. Um, so it could be really beneficial. But I suppose the question is, Alison, is this proof that when your government's let you down, science can always perk you back up? Yeah, I mean, gosh, isn't that the case? I mean, where would we be without all the scientific kind of breakthroughs in health over the last few years? This is an amazing story. Um, as you say, there's been a real struggle uh, with blood donations recently, and the Mirror's uh, run a campaign to try and um, increase the number of uh, blood donors, but it remains a problem. And there are some people with ongoing health conditions, particularly, particularly sickle cell is one of them, where they need ongoing um, transfusions on a regular basis. And so with this, it would mean that um, you have a, a a more regular um, supply of blood, particularly if it's a really rare blood group, which is hard to, um, to find. And it, it just really gives you hope that for a lot of people living with those kind of conditions, the future could be better than the past. Wouldn't that be nice? Ooh. I've tried giving blood a few times. They always reject me because uh, my blood isn't quite perfect enough for some reason well, or another. And it's no. the kind of thing where, because I've been a reporter, I've had a life living on Scotch eggs and Ribena, but um, vodka in the evenings. But the, the trouble is that, you know, if you want to give blood, and sometimes they have to have really high standards and they can actually make it, manufacture it to those high standards. It'd be so much easier for so many it people. It really would. But I mean, a big shout out to all the blood donors out there, because that is an amazing thing to do. I used to do it. And then um, apparently my um, pulse or whatever it is, is so slow. It's taking so long and you have to give it within a certain amount of time. And if you haven't done your amount, it's a certain amount of time, then it has to be thrown away. You've got sluggish blood. Is that what you're saying? I was too slow for them and I had to be jettisoned anyway. The editor of the mirror has got lazy blood. Yes. Can't yeah. be bothered to leave her veins. I have. <laughs> um, I have to wait. Uh, now, Mike says, Lord Lucan would be a more welcome entrant into the celeb jungle than a disgraced and incompetent former health secretary. And it'd be the scoop of the decade for Ant and Deck. I don't know, though. I think if um, I think if they actually got the disgraced Lord Lucan in the jungle, I think 
the, the people who are upset about Matt Hancock in there would really I find know. I wonder whether I did watch it last night. I thought it was really good. I wonder what the viewers will think though when Matt Hancock turns up because it's going to completely take it from being a fun, great, good feel, feel good program mm. into something that feels a little bit mm, horrible. Yeah, I suspect some of the people there, and it was really funny when you see them all meet each other at the start and they were like, Oh God, who's that? Oh, I'm Boy George. Kind yeah. of thing. And so is someone off Hollyoaks? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> they have no idea who each other are at all. Um, but I suspect some of them are slightly better informed, Mike Tyndall, uh, Joel Scott, for example. And they might see Matt Hancock walk in and go, Don't like you. And mm. there'll be some unhappiness, which is probably why they have recruited him, I expect. Yeah, I imagine. Roxanne says, basic income would be a dream for us on low pay, so we have to claim benefits and the King should step in before any more of the Test veterans die. Please, King Charles, I know you watch too. Um, uh, trouble is, you have to make very humble addresses to the King. Uh, he doesn't like being told what to do. He is the King and he's only just got to be the King. So starting to tell him what to do straight away is probably a bit much. But I think the nuclear test veterans who served his mother so well in the first year of her reign, 1952, when they exploded that first atom bomb uh, and kept this country safe ever since, I think that her son should try and recognise them in some way, if at all possible. Now, Eileen says nurses and others working in the NHS deserve a pay rise. Lots of people deserve a pay rise, Eileen, but it's a case of where the money comes from, isn't it, Alison? Well, but do. I do think the nurses do deserve a pay rise. I do think, you know, these are these are true public servants and they serve the rest of us when, when we need it more than any, any other time in our lives. And I think you have to show what you value and you do that by how you spend your money. It's like it's like with our own money, isn't it? You you spend it on the things that you value. And at the moment, as a society, we're not spending it on the things we value. And I think that's really sad. Yeah, exactly. Um, right, I think we've got one more question to answer before we toodle off. Lynette says, my uncle is one of those test veterans and he, his son and... Oh. Yeah. Oh, Lynette. I know. And it's, it's... Son and daughter all have cancer in one form or another. He was serving in the army, so why shouldn't he get a medal? I don't know. I don't know, Lynette, and I'm so sorry, you know, to your family and to all those families and to you, Susie, who've fought so long and hard for this. Um, well, it's hearing things like that, though. That's why I'm upset, because someone comes along and says very matter-of-factly, my uncle served his country, him and both his children have a form of cancer. Now, without knowing what those cancers are, it's difficult to know if they're all radiogenic or somehow affected, likely to be affected by it, but... There are families who are suffering, not only having to deal with cancer, very high rates in one family. That is unusual. That mm. is unusual for a father and both children to have it. Um, and they're having to deal with the pressure and the uncertainty of not knowing if it's linked because the science on that has never been done. They've got the science that has been done being denied by the government and ignored. And on top of that, they've got all this just general denial and mistrust of authority in the establishment and uh, I, i'm so cross that it still goes on because there's no I know, now you can well not understand but you can you can sort of understand why there was a cover-up and all that misinformation back in the 50s and the 60s but there's no reason why it should be like that now is there there's no reason for just not being straight and putting your hands up when something like that's gone on the entire reason why we are worried about vladimir putin firing even a tactical nuke, why Liz Truss apparently spent every day in office looking at the 
uh, raining wind conditions is because we know that even a small amount of radiation causes incredible damage. We know that uranium isotopes only get half as bad after four and a half billion years. That's why it's a weapon. And to say that the men closest to it weren't hurt by it is well, it's just not true, is it? It's just not true. I can, I can tell you what it is, Alison, yeah. but it's a family show and Facebook will yeah. if we say it. Yeah. But it's it's just tripe. It's obviously tripe. Anyway, um, thank you, Lynette, for sharing your story with us. Um, thank you, Ed, backstage, for making me cry. Well done. Um, thank you, Alison, for taking us through all that. Um, now, if you're... If you're listening on podcast, please leave us a review. We will um, be easier to find for other people then. Remember, defence questions will be on these channels at 2.30 later on. And we'll be back on Wednesday for another edition of What the Hell's Going On Anyway. Uh, Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks for taking part. <laughs>